Turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew for one final time. We're closing out our sermon series today, Upside Down Living, as we've been looking at the Beatitudes. Today's the last sermon in that series, so we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. And if you are physically able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 5. This is what the word of God says. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as I said, today is the final sermon in this sermon series as we've spent time looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but particularly the intro or the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount as we have looked at the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Our text today is dealing with verses 10 through 12. Let's reread that. So take a look at verse 10 in your Bible, which says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the text that we're going to be focusing on today as we close out the series. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned the importance of reading the Beatitudes rightly. And by that, I mean to not read them as just if then statements. So perhaps you recall, I said there's nothing upside down about a transactional God, right? Like I live my life based on transactions. I just bought a car on Friday. I brought money to the seller and drove home with a car. This is not upside down. This is right side up. It's very normal. Here's the cost of something. You have the money, you buy the thing. There's a transaction. There's no big wow behind that. That's just how life works. It makes sense. Not upside down, but right side up. Christ is not telling us that if we're good little girls and boys, we'll get a prize. That if we eat all our peas and carrots, we can have a piece of candy. So we really should take not just two more bites, but two more big bites. That's not what the Beatitudes are. Here's the deal, though. Reading the Beatitudes that way, as if-then statements, it's not really the end of the world until today. I mean, you can read through the Beatitudes as if-then statements, and they make sense. There's certainly application that you can draw from it. It's not really the end of the world. I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to approach the Beatitudes, but you certainly can. It's just not best until today. Take a look in your Bibles and see, hopefully you can see what I'm, uh, what I'm saying for yourself. So look at verse 3, for example. 
Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so if I'm poor in spirit, uh, I'll get the kingdom of heaven. If then. Being poor in spirit is a good thing. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 4. So being mournful over sin, over death, is a good thing, because comfort is coming. Cool. If then. All right. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, so meek isn't weak. If you think meek is weak, try being meek for a week. Got it. Okay, so meekness is cool if then. Got it. Okay, Uh, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is good. Let's like good things and not like bad things. Good. If then, we'll be satisfied. Okay, blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. Let's be merciful. Okay, if we're merciful, we'll also be merciful. People will be merciful to us. You know, judge not, lest you be judged. For the measure with which you judge others, they'll judge you. Got it. If then. See, do you see what I'm saying? We could, we could do that. We could just treat these as flippant if-then statements and just kind of run through it. Um, uh, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's have pure hearts. Awesome. It would be great to have pure hearts. Who wants impure hearts? Good. Okay. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. We looked at that last week. For they shall be called sons of God. Okay. Okay. That's all we are saying is give peace a chance. I got it. We can be sons of God. Good. So then we come to the text today. And it says this, look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so let's, let's if-then this one. If I'm persecuted, the kingdom of heaven is mine. If I'm not persecuted, what does that say about, what does that say about me? See where the if-then kind of gets really weird today and not cool? Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, if-then kind of works. We can, we can if-then our way through the Beatitudes up until this point. But the if-then implication of this Beatitude, if we're reading it that way, and I don't think we should be, is going to cause us to come away with all sorts of misunderstandings of persecution and what it means to be followers of Christ. Like, do I have to be persecuted in order to get the kingdom of heaven? Is persecution a good thing? Should I, should I be trying to die because blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what about, what about me? I live in a land where there's just not a lot of persecution. Certainly not in the way that Jesus was thinking about or any of the writers of scriptures would think about, right? There's not a lot of that stuff going on here, today, now. Verse 11, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, so is... Is being reviled and persecuted, is, is that a good thing? When people utter evil against you, is that good? Can the uttering of evil ever be good? I feel like we're getting like super like the problem of evil, right? Like, like, what, what, like can, can this ever be good? So hopefully you see my point. The Beatitudes aren't cosmic if-then statements. But quite frankly, if that's how you've been reading them, if that's how you understand them, that's, you can kind of get away with viewing them as such, thinking Jesus is telling nice people how to be nicer. And that's all good and well. But in our text today, it kind of gets real. It just gets weird and real. So let's remind ourselves that these aren't primarily if-then statements. Are there blessings associated with the things Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes? Absolutely. Uh, however, Jesus is speaking to actual people who, listen to me, people who are, watch this, already blessed. Already blessed. Not if you are not if you're good, we, you get a cookie. The people are already blessed. The kingdom is theirs, and they're blessed for at least three reasons. Number one, Jesus is speaking to them live. Kind of awesome. 
They're blessed. Number two, he is telling them of the kingdom of heaven, not the spiritual, and he's telling them of the kingdom, not the spiritual and societal heroes, but the zeros of society. He chooses to tell them of the kingdom. If you look back at the end of chapter four, you can see the people who are in this crowd, the sick, the afflicted, the Syrians, the, uh, the uh, other Gentiles, the demons, the epileptics, the paralytics. He's telling people with his disciples for whom the kingdom has come. So they're blessed because they're getting the news long before people typically get news. And the third reason is this. He's telling them about an upside-down world, an upside-down value system, and telling them, hey, you're okay. Hey, you are in. I know this seems bad, and I know it feels bad, and I know it doesn't sound good, and it doesn't feel good, but I'm the king. Your mind. Rejoice. And that's the good news of the kingdom. So let's get into this specific test uh, that we're looking at today with my first point that might be obvious, but I think bears repeating and making. First of all, persecution is not good. Persecution is not good. That might sound frighteningly obvious to you, uh, but maybe as you read this text, you're thinking, but I feel like he, he is saying persecution is good. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find verse 10. I want you to find verse 10. Literally, if you, if you wouldn't mind, put your finger on verse 10 and let's see if it says that persecution is good. So as I put my finger on verse 10, it's blessed are what? Those who are persecuted. So the blessing is not coming towards persecution, but towards what? People, right? The persecuted, right? It's not persecution is awesome. Persecution is blessed. Get me some of that. It's that those who are persecuted are blessed. Look at verse 11. Put your finger. Blessed are what? You, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Four times in verse 11 alone, Jesus is speaking to people, about people, not just these phenomenon, not just things that might happen, but it's like, listen, blessed are those of you, blessed are you, blessed are the persecuted, and that's going to be among you. Then he really zeroes in, at least in, the, in the, what we call the Matthean account, right? The account in Matthew where he says, hey, look, verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Like, hey, I'm talking to you, bro. This is something that you're going to have to be facing and you need to know that you're blessed. You're blessed. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And quite frankly, they ain't nothing new under the sun, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. So I want you to see that in the text. It's the people to whom this happens that are blessed. But the blessing is not in the persecution itself or in being reviled itself. The blessing is always rooted back to the fact that they're part of the kingdom. Okay, let me say that again. The blessing is not in the persecution itself. That's what I mean. You can kind of get away with that with like, Blessed are the pure in heart, right? If we say, oh, so being pure in heart is a blessed thing. Well, it is, right? But the blessing is the people who are pure in heart are part of the kingdom. Because that's where it breaks down in this verse, right? Because then it's like, okay, well, blessed are the persecuted. It's like, well, persecution is not blessed. But those who are persecuted are blessed. Why? Not because they were persecuted, but because they're part of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Nod if it does. Good. Okay, six of you got it. That's okay. I feel like understanding might be contagious, so we're going we're gonna to move on. Um, the blessing is always rooted back to the fact that they're part of the kingdom. Now, that's clearly seen in verse 10. Look at verse 10. For theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. 
Even in verses 11 and 12, they're, they're told the rejoicing they're told to do is not because they're being reviled and persecuted on earth, but because what? Their reward is great where? In heaven. So I think it's an important point to make and an important thing to think through, that persecution in and of itself is not good. It's not blessed. Uh, even King Jesus himself prayed for a way out of his own persecution, right? Matthew 26 and verse 39 Going a little farther, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He falls on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So did Jesus really mean what he was saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's like, Heavenly Father, I'm a scared. He knows exactly what's coming. And he's saying, if there's another way, be all for it. If there's, another, if, if there's a, a, like a plan B... Another way for me to absorb your wrath on behalf of your people? I would like, can we talk about that? But ends with what? But not my will, but yours. But he asks. Why does he ask? Because persecution is not good. Jesus was not looking forward to it. He was looking forward to obeying his father. He was looking forward to, to ransoming his people. The writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So he loved what he did for you and me. He loved what that accomplished. He loves doing the will of his father. But if there was a way to do it without being scourged, without having a crown of thorns bashed into his skull, without being spit upon and without having his beard plucked and without having nails smacked through his hands and feet, he would have been like all for it. Can you blame him? Right? If you knew that was coming, you'd be praying that really hard as well. Persecution in and of itself is not good. I think it's an important point to make. Now, sometimes people will mention that the church thrives during times of persecution, and that is historically accurate. The gospel is unstoppable. The word of God is unstoppable. The word of God is Jesus Christ. He was the word made flesh. He's alive. He's not stoppable. When the church has been pushed underground, she thrives, but that's not because persecution is good. That's because Jesus said, Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church. Like, I'm so going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not because persecution is good. It's because Jesus is good. It's because Jesus is unstoppable. It's because nothing can, nothing can stop his strength. Nothing can stop his power. But when people think that persecution is blessed, they'll say things like, you know what we need? We should be praying for persecution here. Forgot to stir the pot a bit here in America. And that's said based on a misunderstanding of Scripture and an obvious lack of persecution in their own lives. Can we just admit that? Right? Like this is something that's said, I trust it's well-meaning. Uh, but it is, it is based in ignorance. The only people who say we should pray for persecution to increase are people who have never been what? Persecuted. Right? Trust me, there's not like a single Middle Eastern Christian who had a friend or relative beheaded on a beach because of his faith, or a woman stoned because of Jesus, or a young man or a young woman tortured because of the gospel who would ever, ever tell you that you should pursue and pray for these things. If it could, I think the blood of the martyrs would cry out to us and say, are you crazy? Like, are you crazy if we were to say that persecution is something that we should pray would increase? That's nuts. Persecution is not good. The blessing doesn't come in being persecuted. The blessing comes in being part of the kingdom. And when you're persecuted, and maybe you're tempted to think, is this going right? Because uh, I'm a kingdom person. Am I... Is this supposed to be this way? Yes, don't worry. Jesus says, hey, don't worry. 
Keep on keeping on. Stay the course. Hold the line. You're blessed. You're part of the kingdom. Your reward is in heaven. And then we would look back and we'd say, all right, all right, so I guess this is, I guess this is kingdom living. So this is not, the fact that I'm being persecuted is actually not a sign that I'm being a bad kingdom person. I'm blessed. So here's why I make this point this morning. If you misread the text and think Jesus is saying that persecution is good, you'll pursue persecution. But here in the States, being persecuted for like fighting the good fight of faith is kind of hard to find. I mean, keep your finger in Matthew and turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Okay, the writer of Hebrews, speaking of those who are in what we like to call the hall of faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 and following. Take a look at the kind of persecution he speaks of. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountain and in dens and caves of the earth. I think we would all admit it is not easy to be a Christian today. Amen? I think we would all admit it's not that hard, right? I mean, that's safe to say, right? Like, it's not that hard. It's not easy. But when we read that, we're like, ooh, but it's not, could, could certainly be worse. What with none of us having been sawn into, right? So it's not that hard. So if we are trying to pursue persecution and we can't find it in the way that the scriptures speak of it, I think what we end up doing is uh, picking a fight instead of actually fighting the good fight. Does that make sense? I think we think that there's something like blessed in the chest bump, blessed in the poking of the bear, blessed in the reviling, and so we try to bring it on. We try to bring it on thinking that we're doing this for Jesus, and instead of fighting the good fight, we are picking a fight. And we see this when Christians, and I trust well-meaning Christians just want to ride their hobby horse off into the sunset or stand on their soapbox and effectively make their thing the main thing. And that's what they're defined by. Why? Because persecution is good. Oh, I'm just getting pushed back because I'm suffering for Jesus. When in reality, typically when they're talking about their issue, do you know what the issue lacks? Jesus, typically, right? This is like the person who's all about one thing or the other, who's all about the gender issue, all about creation, all about Calvinism, all about end times, all about politics, all about the age of the earth, all about baptism, all about marriage. Usually, when people are talking about this in a, in a provocative way, right, in a poking of the bear way, and people are fighting back at them, they'll sometimes, oh, that's just part of the cost of, you know, suffering for Jesus. It's like, I feel like you didn't mention Jesus the whole time. I'm not saying the scriptures don't speak to those things. They speak to every one of those things. I actually have pretty strong feelings about every one of those things. But what happens if we're looking for persecution, we'll, we'll pick a fight, right? We'll, we'll try to get that coming from the other side. And, and like I said, each of the things that I just listed and thousands more are things that the scriptures speak to. But if you think persecution is good and you live in a land that lacks it, you're going to try to find it. You'll probably pick a fight about whatever your thing is, kind of hoping someone fights you back. 
And when they do, you'll think you've accomplished something when you, and see yourself as a martyr, when in reality, you might just be talking about your issue in a way that's like a jerk. <laughs> Not like Jesus. But then you get the pushback, and you're like, yeah, I'm suffering for Jesus. May not be for Jesus. It might just be for the issue or the presenter. And the famous line over every, but this is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. That's usually the go to when we talk about is this issue central to how we should be interacting with other people? This is a gospel issue. It's like, how come when you share it and you talk about it, it lacks the gospel? Usually, because I had a conversation with somebody last year. I'm like, what happens if people do what you're telling? So this was a, a, a blowhard preacher, quite frankly, who was standing downtown Cincinnati preaching what he thought to be the necessary message of the day, and he had an issue. And I said, what happens if people do what you're telling them to do? So what, what happens then? Well, the world would be a better place if we wouldn't have so much of this one. I said, couldn't agree with you more. I said, where will they go when they die? He was like, ah, that's kind of separate. I was like, ha, ha. So it's like, you're going to tell me it's a gospel issue. Do you see my point? You're going to tell me it's a gospel issue, yet with all, if you have a soapbox and you have a megaphone and you have the opportunity to speak about something, why not speak about something that could get people into the kingdom instead of of just helping them live a better, nicer, cleaner, cooler life now? Does that make sense? Well, it's just the opposition we get from the other side. We're blessed to be persecuted. You're not being, the blessing's not in the persecution. Because persecution is bad. Stop trying to pick a fight. Does that make sense? So I think if we think persecution is good, we might be tempted, if it's your personality, if it's your type, to kind of pick a fight instead of fighting the good fight. We need to remember that persecution in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing. However, we also shouldn't be surprised because kingdom people should expect to be persecuted, right? Right? In your outline, I have 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All and will. So it's coming in some way, shape, or form. It may not be being sawn into, or it might be. But persecution in some way, shape, or form is coming for, according to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life. Christ says in John chapter 15 and verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you? How a servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And this he was saying to people even before he was persecuted hardcore, right? This is before his death. So if they, he's saying if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we expect it as kingdom people. We know it's coming. We don't pursue persecution. We don't pick a fight. We pursue righteousness. We do what is right. We do what kingdom people do. And if we're persecuted for doing so, Jesus says, hey, don't lose heart. You're still a kingdom person. Hey, in every way, this looks really bad. This looks like a fail. This looks like you're not succeeding. And it may even cost you your life. But take heart. You're still blessed. You're still a kingdom person. And that's where God says yours is the kingdom of heaven. So it might be something worth thinking through. What about you? Have you been, are you being persecuted? Are you being reviled? Was it because you were living and reflecting the kingdom, kingdom values that Jesus speaks of in the Beatitudes? Or were you just like picking a fight? 
you look at verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are, excuse me, blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For what? Righteousness sake. So is that, is that why the persecution is coming? Or did you pick a fight and claim to be a martyr in so doing? Because persecution in and of itself is not good. We should expect it. But the persecution, the act of being persecuted, the Bible doesn't say that's blessed. It's the people who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. But we also shouldn't be distracted or dissuaded by how it feels, right? And I kind of alluded to this, and I want to unpack this a little more. Righteous kingdom living is a good thing, even when it feels so bad. So Jesus is announcing to people that the kingdom has come for them. He's letting them know that they are blessed, even when these things happen. Why? Because nothing in these things would make us feel blessed if he hadn't told us it was blessed. Do you get that? As you read through the Beatitudes, there's nothing in there that would make us, that we would say, oh yeah, I, I, would, I would feel like a kingdom person and would feel blessed if these things happened to me. Mourning? I, in fact, I actually love mourning. I can't wait. I'm a, I'm a mourning person. <laughs> I just came. I did the, you see what I, yeah. So it's like we wouldn't read through these things and say, oh, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, oh, that, that, that's great. Hungering and thirsting? Yeah, that is blessed. I hope I can hunger and thirst a lot. Jesus is turning our world upside down because he's telling us things that we wouldn't think are blessed are actually like, it's okay. You're still blessed if you're these things. It's okay. Nothing in these things would make us feel blessed if he hadn't told us it was blessed. So Sarah and I on Friday celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. It was really exciting. Yeah, we had a good time. 16, I feel like it's like our marriage can drive. Anyway, sorry. Um, But back in uh, 2005, uh, Sarah and I took a cruise from New York. So it was kind of cool. We were living in New York at the time. Literally went to church in the morning, and our friend gave us a ride to the cruise terminal. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you like a ride to a cruise terminal right after the service? Even now, I'll end early like you could just go. So it was pretty cool. We've only ever done that once from New York. Other times we've had to fly, but that was pretty cool. And we went, we we drove uh, to the cruise Terminal, got on the ship, and we went to Bermuda, and we had a really, really great time. Now, when a cruise typically goes to Bermuda, it's typically just to Bermuda, right? There's nothing else near Bermuda. It's not like we go to Bermuda, and then we go to the Bahamas. They're very far away. So this cruise ship was going to three different ports, but all on the island of Bermuda. So we decided, let's get off the ship before it leaves. Let's get off super early in the morning. Let's watch the sunrise, let's rent a moped, and let's catch up with the ship on the other side of the island. Super fun. So glad we did it. Really glad we did it because in hindsight, we look back, we actually we went in September, which is hurricane season, so it's kind of iffy, and we actually did leave Bermuda early. We were on the ship, but they, we did leave Bermuda early, so we lost like a day, a little more than a day on the other end, so we got to see way more of Bermuda than we ever would have had to because we didn't realize that we were going to be leaving early. Anyway, so we do this thing, right? We, we rent, this, rent this moped. We get off of the cruise ship. Raise your hand. You've been on a cruise. You know you're never supposed to see the back of your ship leaving the port. Like, that's never, that's a shot you never want. So it felt really weird. We're like, are we, is this supposed to, are we going to, okay, it's like, this is good, right? It is going. We're going to get back on this ship. So we get off. We drive to some beach that's facing east. We see a really pretty sunrise. Um, and then we decided, okay, let's just slowly make our way across the island. And uh, we had a great time. 
in Bermuda, they drive on the left, okay? Otherwise known as the wrong side of the road. They drive on the left side of the road. How many of you have ever done that? You've driven on the left side of the road. I mean in a country where you're supposed to do that, okay? Right, okay, so it's, it's like, you got to think. You know what I mean? Like, it's just something that has to be, we got to really, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, it is right, but this is not what I'm used to. Like, I'm used to making sharp right turns and wide left turns, right? So are you. You typically make a wider left turn than you do a right turn. So flip that on its head in a place where they drive on the left. Then come to a roundabout, it's like, okay, we got to stop. We probably should pray. Get out a piece of paper. We've got to carry the one. Like, I don't know how, how to do this. Like, literally, you're just here, and you're like, wait a minute. Do I? So wait, I go, I'm going to go left, and where do I exit this thing? Because my tendency, like, just naturally, you just want to go that way. Well, that would be into oncoming traffic. Like, that would be, that would be bad, right? So if you typically leave our driveway here and you make a left, just imagine making a sharp left. Doesn't your t- stomach just mer- like move a little? Like you think of that and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that would not be good. But here we are at a place where this is good. In fact, the opposite would be bad. Um, it just doesn't feel right. This is kind of kingdom living. Right? Jesus is looking at us and saying, I know it doesn't feel right, but it actually, it actually is. Right? I know you're being persecuted and... In every other situation in life, if you're being persecuted, we would look at you and say, you're bringing about violence onto yourself. You're making enemies. Obviously something, you're supposed to be winning people to the kingdom. They want to kill you. So I feel like that's not working. This is a fail. This is not good. Bad kingdom person, right? Like if any other, if you went to work, we wouldn't say, blessed are you as an employee if all of your coworkers hated you, reviled you, persecuted you, wanted to bring harm to you, and say, you're probably doing a a good job. We'd probably say, how do we fix this? Like, how do we, something's up, right? This is like the one place on God's green earth, and it's not even rooted in earth, is in Jesus' kingdom. If you're persecuted, don't worry, you're still blessed. So it's like, if there's one place, and there's obviously several places, right, where you can be just like, okay, am I on the wrong side of the road? Because this feels really weird, and I'm not used to it, not to mention I'm on a moped. I'm not typically used to that, but that I got used to quickly, and that was really fun. And it's like, okay, so I'm used to the moped, but it feels weird to have the shoulder here, like on a two-way street, to have the shoulder here. I'm supposed to see other cars here. Is this, am I doing this? Yeah, yeah, you're in Bermuda. So it's like, is this, is this right? People are attacking me. They're, they're accusing me of things. They're, they're, they're saying things falsely against me because of Jesus. Am I doing this wrong? Am I representing Christ well? Am I a kingdom person? Jesus says, yeah, yeah. This is not a sign that you're not a kingdom person. And your reward is in heaven. So you're blessed. You're in. Keep on keeping on. And you will be rewarded. It's not going to be now. It's not going to feel good now, but it's okay. You're in, you're in Bermuda. Sharp left. You're good. It's okay. It, it, it's, this is how we roll here. Jesus says, this is how we roll here. This is the kingdom. Because people who are poor in spirit will be persecuted. People who are mourning 
consistently and constantly will be persecuted. People who are meek will be persecuted because the world will see them as weak and helpless. People who want righteousness and hunger and thirst after it will be persecuted for wanting the opposite of what our world wants. People who are merciful instead of condemning will be persecuted because the world will see them as a doormat. People who are pure in heart will be persecuted because the world will see them as goody-two-shoes. People who pursue peace and reconcile others to one another will be persecuted because the world wants you just to take a side and fight really hard for that side and against the other. And if we're kingdom people and we're persecuted for these things, this is how Jesus has defined kingdom living, we'll be tempted to give up and throw up our hands and say, why, God? Why even bother? What's the use? This is hard, bad, costly, painful I don't think I'm good at it. I might die trying. Like, literally, I might die trying. They're winning. I'm losing. I'm not representing you well. Jesus says, you are. It's part of kingdom living. You're blessed. And the reward is coming. In fact, Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to speak more and more about what kingdom people are like, right? Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So we don't see a, hey, now hold back. When it gets hard, it means you're failing, right? When people are pushing it, when there's resistance, something you're supposed to be winning people into the kingdom and they're not liking you. We do want to win people into the kingdom. We really do. Uh, The Apostle Paul says he strives to be all things to all people so that he may perhaps win some. We want people to come to the kingdom. And it's not always going to work. Not only is it not always going to work, sometimes people are going to really, really, really hate us for being kingdom people. Not for being jerks, not for our issues, but for being kingdom people. Verse 13, don't lose your salty taste. What, What good is it if salt loses its taste? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're not going to hunker down. We're not going to hide. We're going to keep on being light and salt in this world by being kingdom people, by living out these things that Jesus teaches to us, by being these things because that's what kingdom people do. This is what we do. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. We're not going to be like, good, I'm saved. Ah!" And just hide. That's not the goal. But it gives light to all the house. They put the light on a stand. Not only do they not put it on a basket, so it's not just like we leave it there, but don't cover it. It's like, no, not only don't cover it, but like put it up so high. So it lights the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what we do. This is kingdom living. And it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel right and it flies in the face of what this world loves and values and says is good and right. But we're not of this world. And that's the next point. Don't forget where your citizenship is and where your reward is waiting. Right? In heaven. Matthew 5, verse 10. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12. For your reward is great in heaven. So that's the other thing. Sometimes we're looking for relief or reward here. Sometimes we get it. It's not guaranteed. It's not promised. I would say, as we see relief and reward in this life for being kingdom people, 
we really should be pleasantly surprised. Ple- and thankful, grateful. But like, wow, that's not in the script. Like, I, whoo, we just, I'm seeing relief and reward in this life for being a kingdom person. That's an, a huge blessing, right? Because that's not what we're told necessarily we're going to have as we try to be kingdom people. But we are told that relief and reward comes when? In heaven. Because this world is just temporary. We're just passing through. Look at Philippians 3, verses 8 and following. Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. So that's a value shift, right? That's a value statement. He's not saying everything I lost, I hated it all the time. No, he's saying I count that as rubbish compared to what I'm gaining in Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Sharing in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death. These are things that are replete throughout the scriptures. These are things that we sing in songs sometimes. What do you think that means? It means we're willing to be kingdom people even when kingdom living is upside down hard and doesn't feel good at all. So an illustration is just an illustration. All illustrations break down at some point. At one point, at this particular roundabout, I remember thinking, I think I might have made a terrible mistake. I think, like, surely there's another option. I can, I can ditch this thing here. I can try to bring it back as long as I'm driving on the left side of the road. I can flag down some dude wearing very pastel, highly hiked up socks and ask him to give us a ride to the other side of the island. Like, there's other ways to, to do this. Here's where the illustration breaks down. You know you'll eventually get used to driving on the left if you stay in country long enough, right? I, I spent a little over a week in Japan. They drive on the left in Japan. Uh, it seemed really weird when I first landed. Three, four, five days there, it's, you kind of you get used to it. It, it can happen. And if, it doesn't get, if you don't get used to it in three, four, five days, you probably get used to it in three, four, five weeks, three, four, five months. Like You will eventually get used to it. And that's where the illustration breaks down. Because we're never going to get used to kingdom living in this life. The longer you live in this world and the longer you live for the kingdom, the stranger it feels. Not, oh, I feel like I've finally, finally settled in. I finally, I think I've got my groove. Like, I think I know what I'm doing. The longer we live in this life and the longer we live for the kingdom, the stranger it feels. So the illustration might actually be better thought through like this, not like going to Bermuda or Japan or someplace where they drive on the left and isn't that really weird because you're the stranger. Picture driving on the left here. Full time. At all times. Got to go north on 471. I'm going out to lunch. 
downtown. I'm going to go up the exit ramp right here. What will happen? Oh, people will revile you. <laughs> they will utter all kinds of evil against you. They might more than utter. They might be pretty clear and loud. Right? And this is where the illustration is a little helpful. You might die. That's kingdom living. It's not driving on the left where people drive on the left. It's driving on the left where people don't drive on the left. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> like ever, there's no, there's no sign of that happening at all. At all. We're not going to like legislate our way into maybe driving on the left, right? That's like trying to fix society and everything. Like we're just going to, spiritually speaking, we're driving on the left. And it's going to be hard. And it's not going to feel good. We'll face a lot of opposition. And if we face opposition, and if people are angry at us, and if we get in the way of others, really you're just trying to get downtown. But you really feel that that would be the best way, right? You're not, are you trying to tick people off? That's picking a fight. No, stop smiling. No. So you're just getting on the southbound off-ramp heading north. You're not, it's nothing personal. It's not personal with the person coming on it. You didn't think I'm going to get them. You're just like, i got to get downtown. Right? So it's not personal, but people will still be angry at you. You don't hate other people. You're just trying to get there, but people will still be angry at you. And you might think, is this, so living this way, is this right? You're not trying to do anything wrong. You're not trying to get in their way. You're not trying to interrupt their drive. You're just trying to live like King Jesus. Be a kingdom person. But inevitably, kingdom living is upside down living in a right side up world. It's left side driving in a right side driving world. And there's opposition, and there's danger, and just when you're tempted to think, here's where this illustration breaks down, because at some point you might think, I, I probably shouldn't be doing this, and if you're driving, you really shouldn't be, right? And Jesus looks back at you and says, don't think just because the horns are honking and people are waving at you, some with five fingers, some with less, and because people are uttering all kinds of things against you, don't think that means you're jacked up and you're not a good kingdom person. They've been doing this for a long time. They did this for the prophets before you. You're in the kingdom. Take heart. Let me call Jesus and the worship team up front. Wouldn't it be cool if we had an example, like a model for us of this? Right? If we, as we look back at the Beatitudes, wouldn't it be cool if we had a like we look at each one, we're like, man, who can I look to to be like, who's, who's meek? Who's poor in spirit? Right? Wouldn't it be cool if we knew someone that though he was rich, for our sake he became poor? So that through his poverty we might become rich, Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Wouldn't it be cool if we knew somebody who mourned and drew near his people, looked out even over a city and mourned over it? Wouldn't it be helpful to us if we knew someone who was meek as a model for us, who like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Wouldn't it be helpful if we knew someone who just longed to make things right and 
and, and, and will make things right. In fact, someone who said, you know what, my, my, my food is to do the will of God, the person who sent me. Wouldn't it be helpful for us as kingdom people who knew someone who is merciful and didn't count sins against other people even though it would be right for them to do so and said, just go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Wouldn't it be helpful as a kingdom person if we had an example for us who was pure, like such a high priest who's holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 7, verse 26. Wouldn't it be helpful if we had a model before us, a kingdom person who has this ministry of reconciliation, of peacemaking that is reconciling the world to himself and not counting people's trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Isn't it cool that we get to live in a kingdom and in obedience to a king who doesn't say, do as I say, but not as I do, but who says, do as I say, and this is how I've done. Do, do as I say, and let's do this together. Do as I say, meaning do what I'm doing. Let's do this thing. Let's live for this kingdom. And I'm leading the charge by example. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't just kind of like, oh, okay, we'll just do what the other guys, you know, gotta, gotta, working for the man. But the man is the God man, Jesus Christ, who modeled all of these things. And so as we live for Jesus and as we live for this kingdom, we have an advocate. We have an example. We have a role model. We have someone who's done it already. And we certainly, tell me if you would agree with this, have somebody who was persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? We certainly have someone who is willing to do the hard thing when it certainly didn't feel good, who even asked for a way out but still said, but I want to do, do God's will. And so we have that example for us as kingdom people who want to live upside down in a right-side-up world. May we do that for his glory, for his fame, for his renown, and for our good, our good and the good of others. Father in heaven, we love you and love being part of your kingdom. We're grateful. We take that as no small thing. And Lord, we are aware of the cost, the cost of being part of that kingdom. And so, Lord, right now we pause. We pause just for a, a moment of silence to acknowledge people suffering things that we can't picture just because we don't have a reference point. We think of people who are of you, who love you, and are holding the line, even in the face of opposition. We think of chairs that perhaps were filled in a place of worship last week that maybe there's a few less because they've been taken down. But they're kingdom people. So Lord, I pray that you would call people to our mind that we don't even know. We have no name for, no face for. 
Help us to pray for them that they would stay strong, that they would remember they're blessed, they're kingdom people. If you're not messing up, you're in, you're kingdom people. And help us to remember the same here. When we face opposition, when we face persecution, as we spend time with friends, with family members, with neighbors, with people who disagree, and sometimes disagree like strongly, vehemently, even violently, remind us to rejoice and be glad because our reward is great in heaven. Thank you, King Jesus, for establishing a kingdom and for calling me and my friends to be a part of it. Help us to represent you well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.